Hello and welcome to the Revenue Architect podcast. My guest this week is Jen Bennett, SVP of Global Enterprise Sales at Trulyu and former VP of Sales at Affirm. And I know this is going to be a great episode because Jen is simply one of the best sales leaders I've ever worked with and I've learned a ton of good habits from her. Jen, welcome to the pod. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Arnie. It's so great to see you. You too, Jen. Jen, you just started literally, I think, two weeks ago, a new role at Trulyu. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're right. Last Monday was my first day. And for my first day, I got on a plane and went to a sales kickoff, which honestly was probably the best way you can ever start any job because it's like six months of learning condensed into three days. Back to your question, what does Trulyu do and what am I there to do? Trulyu is really setting out to be the leader in global identity. You know, if you think about the world we live in today, you know, it's it's increasingly moving online and we need to have a layer of trust. And, and for that, we need to make sure that, you know, you are who you say you are and I am who I say I am. And the businesses that we transact with are who they say we are. So that's what Truly You does is provide that layer of trust for the global internet economy. And my role there, so I am going to be running their global sales team uh, for the enterprise space, kind of similar to the, one of the roles I've done before at a firm where I was really focused on enterprise sales and um, getting that, you know, that engine has been going for a little bit prior to my getting there. But really, the job to be done this year is to take that and to uh, make it into a machine and really get that flywheel going. Jen, first of all, just incredibly impressed that you nailed the value prop for, for you after two weeks. <laughs> whatever, we did the, at the SKO. <laughs> yeah, that must have been a good SKO. Like, uh, yeah. actually, actually did work at the SKO. So good yeah. for good for Trulio's thing. Is a really great sign. So starting a new job um, as a senior exec, you've done this before as a senior exec. Mm. What do you typically try and get done in your first two weeks and say in your first two months? You know, the first two weeks for me are really about getting to know the people. I think that's foundational, especially as a senior exec. And, you know, we're not fully remote, but we are global. So I have team members who live in Ireland and UK and Vancouver and San Diego and um, getting to know those team members, both my direct team, my peers, and you know every single cross-functional partner that we touch is really important, which again was why you know being at this SKO was so invaluable. I think I just shortcut about six months of Zoom getting to know you into three days. And then what I'm really trying to do is lay out the foundation of what needs to be done. So I've spent time, you know, interviewing everyone on my team about, you know, what's going on, you know, what are their needs, how are they thinking about their pipeline and starting to see some some early patterns emerge that I can start to tackle in kind of that first quarter. Um, and then second is just I really need to get myself up to speed personally. You know, one of the one of the things I heard repeated from multiple execs is to, to sell this product, uh, you'd really, really have to understand it. And so I'm trying to make myself an expert. One of the themes we had was, you know, for our SKO was being a trusted expert, our sales team and our CS team being a trusted expert. Um, I'm not a trusted expert yet, right? <laughs> Eight days in. So, you know, my, my goal is I need to make myself that person. And so getting um, you know, just spending time understanding the product with the product team, the CS team, the data science team. There's all these cross-functional teams who really understand the product. And then I've been listening to just a ton of gong calls. Um, you know, I'm a big runner, so this is kind of silly and nerdy, but I'll like put on a gong call and go on a run and just listen to them. So I, I've listened to a lot of gong calls while running a lot of miles. Wow. That is, uh, that's dedication. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. I, lo I, I love listening to sales calls because I mm -hmm. think like 
it doesn't matter how many you've done you there's always one thing you can do better exactly. and um i find like it's gong uh we use chorus but same thing like yeah. well not the same thing if you work at gong but like <laughs> essentially the idea i think has just really transformed you know our business because when you and i work together the way we would give each other feedback is we'd have to go on a call together yes uh, or you'd have to go on a call with your team and i think this just makes it so much quicker and it's also really interesting there what you said about you need to understand the product before you can sell it because your customers want you to be a trusted expert. Mm-hmm. And and it's really interesting in SaaS in general. Like I feel like we're moving from an era of software, you know, being the the main part of SaaS to like mm-hmm. the service piece is becoming the main part of SaaS. Like there's so many SaaS vendors, customers are overwhelmed. They're looking more and more for the service piece and yeah. you know the expertise piece. So I think it's a really good sign that Trulyu has identified that and is uh, and leaning into it. Because certainly I see that in my business, also in the compliance space. Yeah, and and you know I I was up in uh, Vancouver this week, sitting down with more team members. So I've been on the road. One of the things um, our CEO, a guy named Steve Mumford, said to me, who's he he really nailed it when he said the sellers on your team who get it are the ones who truly understand the client problems. And when I talk to, you know, your team members, they're not just telling me about the products they're selling to their clients, but they're talking to me about the problems that they're solving. And so it's really flipping, you know, we always talk about this, you know, sell value, not products, but, you know, it, it really does crystallize it to how you should think about it of, if I understand my client's problem that they're trying to solve and the end state that they're trying to achieve, and I know my product, then I can put together that puzzle for them in a way that really makes sense. And so that that's kind of what we're trying to do here in terms of how we want to sell and go to market. That's super interesting. The idea of you're really selling the end state by understanding the problem and really the yeah. product's just a way of getting there. Jen, you started out actually your career in media sales and then transitioned incredibly successful to software sales. What did you take with you on that journey and what did you have to learn that was new? Yeah, you know, that that transition was hard to make in terms of getting that first job, right? I think we've talked about this. I think there's a lot that's applicable no matter where you sell. You know, when you think about media sales, you know, it's very relationship driven. I think in media sales, you're selling an audience. Um, and so you can really transition that to whatever you're selling. And, you know, after that, I sold, you know, travel software. And then I was at a firm, as you mentioned. And then I, um, you know, now at Trulio, the thought of how you take that audience, well, that audience is really the value, right? And so you can, you can transition how you think about it very, very easily because it's really about, you know, how are you articulating the value? And then how are you using data to back that? And I, I felt like with media, a lot of what we were selling are, you know, when we were at Polywar, we were basically selling females that like to shop of a certain age. And we used a lot of data to show that we had that audience and used a lot of data to show that, you know, that audience liked the brand or was, you know, actively shopping on the brand that we would go after. And, and that that applies. All you have to do transition is how do you articulate that that value in a way that makes sense, I think, numerically through creating a business case and, and showing true ROI. So I think those things are very apples to apples, no matter where you you sell. And at the end of the day, relationships matter, right? And I think media sales is a very relationship-driven sale because you're constantly selling to the same client, right? You're building relationships with the client, you're building relationships with those agencies. And that's true no matter where you go. At the end of the day, people want to buy from people they like and people they trust. That's really cool to hear. And then what did you have to learn that was new 
in making yeah. this transition? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because in media, you know, with media sales, it's not winner takes all. You know, if you're if you're a brand, you know, you're you're not putting all your eggs in in one basket. You're spreading out your ad spend across multiple places. And there's, you know, there's that designated test budget. So part of what a brand wants to do or an agency wants to do is test out new properties. So there is that kind of dedicated test budget. Whereas in, in software and in other, you know, kind of SaaS companies, it's typically a, you know, winner takes all, right? You don't need Gong and Cores. We just talked about that. You pick one. And so I think that is slightly more challenging because while, you know, I did find at a firm and, and I believe at Trulia, we do this too, you know, there is this notion of a pilot. Typically, you know, you have to communicate your value really strongly in the sales process because they're not going to pilot with everyone, right? They're probably going to pilot with you. And if it works, then you move to full contract. So you have to have a really strong selling motion and, you, and that client has to believe you up front because they're not, you know, there is not like a test budget in the same way there is for advertising. And there's not a, a notion of like spreading the dollars across multiple providers, right? At the end of the day, they're going to pick one. And so I think that is a key challenge. Um, you know, kind of on, on the other side of media. Yeah, I really like the way you characterize it as media is not winner takes all, SaaS is winner takes all. Absolutely right. People don't buy two of the same product in SaaS. Mm -hmm. Maybe in hosting, they might have some AWS and some Google Cloud just to like have some negotiating leverage, but yeah. like it's very rare. Like most, yeah. most tools, like no one's going to use a firm and I don't know whoever the firm yeah. competed with. And so that actually leads me on to one of the other questions I had for you, which is, how do you overcome that competition in the sales process? Yeah, I mean that's the secret sauce of any sales team, right? If we if there was a magic bullet for for that, then uh, we'd all be you know billionaires and <laughs> selling selling that that secret sauce. But you know, at a firm, I think we over we overcame the competition in a few ways. One, we got really crisp on the deals that we have the right to win and the deals that we thought we had the better solution for. Um, because, you know, when we, when I was at a firm, you know, we talked about Klarna, we talked about Uplift, we talked about Afterpay and, and each of those competitors was strong in a certain market, right? Afterpay was very strong in fashion. Klarna was really strong at global and Uplift was travel. But, you know, we knew where we were really strong, right? It were certain categories with certain, uh, price points where we really excelled. Um, cause when you think about what a firm was selling, we were selling a lending product, but we also were a two-sided network. So part of our value proposition was really laddering into a marketing value proposition where we were selling, you know, higher AOVs and net new customers. So we kind of spoke both to the office of the CFO and the office of the CMO when we were doing that sale. And so, you know, when you think about overcoming competitors, I think first is knowing where to spend your time. And this is something I actually learn from you is, you know, being really crisp on your ideal customer profile and, and sticking to that, right? Not peanut buttering, you know, where you're going to spend your time. Um, so I, I think that's one. And, you know, I think one that as, as sales teams that we, we tend to forget because we, we all get shiny object syndrome, especially if a big client calls that has a big name, right? Um, Wait a minute, Jen, yeah. you, you never had shiny object syndrome. Never, ever. never, 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 never. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it, it is it is hard. It's, you know, it, it's hard for us, you know, no matter if you're an AE or an exec, right? That shiny object syndrome is hard. Uh, so that, that's first and foremost. Uh, second in, in competition is we had really, really clear, you know, value props that we try to distinguish from our competitors. So at Affirm, one of our ethos was this no late fees. Um, and that is distinct from our competitors. 
Um, and we really tried to communicate what that meant, both for the end consumer, right? We're not going to penalize someone uh, for not paying us back. Um, so we were really clear in, in what that meant for the end consumer and the, the goodwill that it extends both to a firm and therefore the brand, but also what that does for the merchant in terms of the type of people we were bringing to them. Um, you know, we brought a higher value customer that delivered a higher value AOV to, you know, to their brand. So we were really crisp on, you know, what makes us distinct, um, but then translating that into ultimately what a brand cares about, which is dollars and cents. You know, at the end of the day, it's all nice, but you know this, every vendor is saying that they're the best. And so we were able to translate that into clear kind of dollars and cents. And then lastly, you know, two of our secret, secret weapons that I feel like sometimes we miss are both our tech team, we had world-class tech team that was able to stand up integrations with some of the, the biggest merchants and, and clients in, in the world, right? You know, it's no secret a firm works with Amazon and, and Walmart and to be able to do an integration with those types of merchants is not easy. Having our tech team and our SEs was a real secret sauce because they were able to really create solution designs that were really easy to implement. And so we would win a lot on, hey, this is much easier to implement. And on the back end, we really sold the value of our CS team, the, the insights and in, in the way that they would work post-sale, are really bringing that forward and showing that the value that that team's going to be creating through the life cycle of the merchant working with us. Still working on how we differentiate ourselves here at, at Truly You. You know, I know we're, you know, I have the value prop down. Now I need to get into the product to, to understand that the differentiations. I have a feeling it's going to be also very much based on service. You know, you mentioned there a firm how focus on the deals where you, you have a right to win, mm -hmm. uh, you know, not getting distracted by the shiny objects, yeah. being really clear about the value props where you do have that right to win, you know, quantifying it, but then having your secret weapon, which it sounds like it's your tech team and your CS team, mm -hmm. making sure that the customer knows about that in the pre-sale. I mean, if obviously if they've used you before and people move around the industry, that's great. Yeah. But, you know, I think when you're smaller, you're like it takes a while for that to happen. So the fact that you're bringing that forward into the pre-sale, I think more and more companies are doing that because they're also realizing that customers are buying as much on service as they are on the, the product or the software. Yeah. So I think that's that's super interesting that it you sort of saw the same thing at a firm. I think you're going to find it's the same thing at Truly You in the compliance space. It is very much, do I trust you? Especially if you're in the AML space, even mm -hmm. you know, where there's like quite severe consequences if the customer gets it wrong. So <laughs> I think it's going to be a, what you've just talked about is going to be the, is going to be very applicable there. You mentioned a few minutes ago ideal customer profile. I'm curious, like as the head of sales, how do you yeah. think about customer profile and how do you get your team aligned around customer profile? Yeah, well, I'm lucky walking into Truly You, they've done a lot of work and they've identified four key verticals. So I feel like we have a really good base uh, to start with. And then it's looking at where we're winning more so and where we're performing a lot. So global, right? We do really well on merchants that want a provider that can work globally. So looking at, you know, versus just a merchant looking for, let's say, a one country, we, we tend to perform better. You know, I think if if none of that was was done and right, it was a, a blank slate. I think looking at the clients that are performing best, right? Who have we grown? Uh, what is their profile? You know, summarizing all that. I think that's a really good way to start is to look at who's already on the platform um, and and who is who's growing on that platform and who's truly performing well on that platform, and and really starting there. And then looking at what problems do we solve for? 
Um, surprisingly, one, one thing I, I have noticed um, is that we don't have a lot of Salesforce data to go off of right now. I think once we move all of our, our sales data and really get Salesforce to be this source of truth, uh, we'll be able to do a lot more and, and learn a lot more and see a lot more patterns. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see this time next year how we we think about um, you know our ideal customer profile and how we even like divide up our territory. I feel like we could have a whole other discussion just about that. Like this, it's so important to capture everything that's happening in there, not just for you as the leader, yeah. but actually for your team so that, you know, you can read it back out to them. I did a post a couple of weeks ago about how to do a quarterly retro of your business. I have a feeling if you tried to fill out that template, um, <laughs> even what you just told me, you'd be like, hmm, where's the data? It's a really healthy thing to do. And um, you get the whole team involved and then you discuss it and then you go, oh, we're missing some key data here. Like yeah. we're not creating ops until like we're in contracts, you know, yeah. or like we're talking to loads of people, but you can't see it. It's in a spreadsheet. And then also the stuff that's happening in the post-sale, like you mentioned, businesses are growing, but if you have to like query a bunch of different systems and then getting it all in one place, it's just like... It, it will unlock a lot of insights here for, to help you grow. And it will yeah. help the team as well go, oh, I should focus here, not here. You know, I'm curious, like, I remember when I when we worked together, you just like magically brought in a lot of business that like we didn't <laughs> even know existed. And so like, how do you think about generating leads and, and what kind of yeah. strategies have worked best for you? Well, it's interesting because if you remember when I came on, we were we were focused a little bit on, on Shiny Object. And in that case, it was, what are the coolest brands, right? We were focused on fashion. And so naturally, the first things people think of are these, you know, couture, high fashion, a Burberry or a Chloe. But what we realized very quickly was that the brands that did Aston Polyvore were ones that had a lot of skews. And so once we kind of unlocked that aha moment, we were able to just kind of change our, our mindset and say, okay, you know, the sexiest brands are the ones that make us a lot of money. Therefore, they're the ones that have a lot of SKUs. And so we were able to to kind of go through our database and and pull out the the brands that had the most number of SKUs. Um, and I think that was the aha moment of, you know, you know, to your point, magically, and you know, I'm air quoting because it's not magic, but it was just kind of that realization of what was going to do best on the Polyboard platform. And so, and then, you know, back in the Polyboard days, we were just hand cranking, right? We were, you know, picking up the phone, calling. You know, dialing for dollars, you know, in media sales too, there's no such thing as a BDR and SDR. And, you know, I think that's a really good thing to learn if you grow up in your sales career through media is that you're doing your own prospecting, which, you know, it's funny because when I moved to the, the other side, you have a lot of AEs who don't see prospecting as part of their job. And that's one thing that I've had to make really clear is the expectation is that at least half of the opportunity should, should be self-sourced. So in terms of lead generation, um, I think we we miss that, hey, the AE should be out there because the AE has a big network. And while, you know, doing the hand crank, trying the cold outreach doesn't yield a lot, what does are warm leads. So networking, you know, using your network that you've built. Um, every time you close a deal, asking for a referral. I had a great sales manager at a firm who started to do this with her team. And every time they closed a deal, they were going after the, the med spa space, which was new. Um, they would say, hey, do you have, you know, it's a small community. Do you have any other friends or colleagues in this space who might need a firm? And, you know, I would say at least two thirds of the time they would refer a friend. So referrals, I think that is a huge, huge thing that we we often miss. We're, we're so afraid to ask, but what's the worst that someone says? No. And then you move on, right? 
Um, so, so that that's one. The other thing that I felt like worked for us, you know, especially in the earlier stages, is you know making sure that your investors and your board are sending leads. I think they're a great source of leads. Um, and they have deep Rolodexes and they have a very vested interest. And so making sure that you're you're asking those people and of course your exec team for leads. We had a great board member at a firm who had deep connections in fashion. Uh, best paid, you know, SDR we had, right? She, you know, she just had such an amazing Rolodex. And when she picked up the phone or sent an email to, you know, uh, someone on the other side, it was A, someone very high level, a C level, and, and B, they would listen. And so that was something that I think we did really well that are kind of, you know, non-standard. You know, I've been curious. I don't know if you've done any of this. I've been curious to try one of these gifting platforms. I've heard, I've heard some people say they work, but I've, I've never tried them. That, that's the next thing that I was kind of thinking about. First of all, that was so much great insight. And I want to come back to it in a minute, just to talk about the gifting stuff. <laughs> it's very similar to like incentivized leads. Like mm-hmm. remember from media performance media days, like an incentivized lead, like what's the value of an incentivized lead versus non-incentivized yeah. ones? Like generally yeah. incentivized leads weren't that high value. And it's the same, it's the same things playing out here. There are a lot of people doing the, like, here's a hundred dollars. Will you have a yeah. meeting? And in your space, I don't know that offering people yeah. money is going to, when you're in an anti-money laundering thing. Gonna, <laughs> True. Probably think, not the right. I, not yeah. The right I think, thing. I think, you know, there's a lot more scrutiny around. First of all, first of all, I don't think incentivized leads work from a value standpoint, yeah. but, um, you know, cause I've talked to a bunch of staffs where they've, they've done this and then they booked a load of meetings, but then the deals actually didn't mature mm-hmm. because fundamentally they were like incentivized leads. You know, the, you know, in the old days you used to watch an ad on your game and then you'd get like, uh, yeah. some coins, you know, and those, whoever's paying for those ads, like wasn't really getting any value. Yeah. And, and I think it's I mean, a very similar yeah. mechanic. Um, and, and it doesn't, it, you, you can build up a lot of pipeline, but it, it won't close. Yeah. Um, also I think the thing, one of the things with gifting is like, it's really hard to get the gift, right? I mean, cash is cash fine, but like I have a supplier that wanted to send me a gift and I went through one of these gifting platforms and the gift is just so random. The thing that arrived, like I just threw it away. And I feel like <laughs> I'd rather have just like give them, give the money to charity or something yeah. or just kept it. I love the things you talked about there it was number one, like AEs, like the idea of full cycle reps. I was just like, you mean a rep? <laughs> like when I heard the term full cycle rep, I was like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Like, and the, it is really fascinating how in SaaS, a lot of AEs think that prospecting is not part of their job um, and that the company thinks it's okay that the first impression someone has of their company is from somebody with no experience. It's in a BDRO. It's very bizarre. And I think it just comes from like people trying to copy each other and not really understanding what they're doing. So, so I love that you, you know, set the expectation with your AEs. I think we're going to see a lot more of that, especially in this current economic climate. They need to be more efficient. One of the places you're going to look is like overall customer acquisition costs or lead generation yeah. costs and having BDRs doing it is just, it's, it's not efficient. Cold calling and emails is really hard when people are doing their job in Slack. You know, it's like, how, how do you even get in front of them? I love what you talked about with networking, warm leads, like using your network, using your execs network, using your investor networks. And I'm curious because we're actually doing that in my company and it's working really well. But one of the challenges is like the AEs aren't all connected to everyone on the board. And in many companies, there's just like this big kind of gap between the people doing the work and the people in the investment team. So I'm curious, like, how did you um, 
you know, how did you experience that in a firm and, you know, how, how were they able to kind of scale that motion? Yeah, well, I use myself as the conduit. One of the things that I've always had my teams do in the past, you know, it's really important when you get your territory to do that territory prioritization. And so we know what are our tier one or tier two or tier three. Um, and then once once you have that aggregated across the whole team, it's really easy to share out, right? We're able to share out like these are the top 50 accounts that we're trying to win this year. And so you can put it up on the board in the board meeting, you know, or you can send that list to the investment team. Um, a lot of times too, I would work with, for example, um, Max Levchin, who, you know, most people know, but was our CEO is at a firm. He was great about this. He would open up his, his Rolodex and his network at any time. And so a lot of times what I would do too is work through his chief of staff. And so leveraging that chief of staff, say, Hey, here's the 50. Can you get this in front of Max and the board? It's very easy for us to ghostwrite an email for Max for a board member to make it really, really easy. So they can just send that message on to the person they know. And then, you know, I was the one who kind of took on that responsibility um, because I had some of those direct connections with the board as well. So I was able to ping our board member and say, for example, I saw you worked at The Gap. Who do you still know there? So, you know, I, I kind of made that that communication streamlined through myself. And then you also talked about asking for referrals once the deal's closed. And yeah. you mentioned how like a lot of people don't do that. They're afraid to do it. Why do you think that is? I think people feel like you have to give the client something. Every time I brought it up, the first thing the AE or the CS team says is, well, what are we giving them? And my answer is, well, nothing. Like, why, why do we have to give them something? Yeah. Right? You know, I think there's this feeling that it should be tit for tat. You know, I think maybe from a sales perspective, people think, well, they haven't even started yet. But, you know, I heard this from somewhere. Maybe I heard it from, from you or, or someone, but... You know, once they sign the contract, that's probably the day they're the happiest because they 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 yeah. like their decision. They just sign. They're excited, and so I, I think that we we forget that. And yeah, I you know I, I haven't put my finger on why that fear is. Maybe it's not wanting to rock the boat. Maybe it's feeling like we have to give them something in return. But it's it's such a basic thing. Either they're going to say yes, here's you know here's my friend or colleague, or they'll say no, and you can just say okay, thanks. Yeah, it's really interesting. That you would ask as soon as a deal's closed. The next logical point is like as soon as the product's live. And they yeah. see it working. They're also yeah. going to feel happy. They're like, "Oh, I feel really good that I gave you the money. Like it's working." Like, yeah. and these, and like finding these moments in the customer relationship, mm -hmm. you can ask them. Then you can ask them at their QBR once they when they're really happy with the numbers. Yeah, you can ask them if you took them out for dinner. You know, there's so anytime they've got a smile on their face, the the best leads are are referrals, are warm leads. Like any business, like word yeah. of mouth leads, like people that come to your website searching for your brand name, like it's all the same thing. It's people who have heard good things about you, yeah. and I think um, you know that is it's it's very interesting. Like in SaaS, because it's not something that lends itself to automation, people don't do it. <laughs> You know, like affiliate program, I can do that, but I can't just ask for 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 referrals. I think it's really, really, really interesting. Yeah, Jen, uh, we are running out of time here. I feel like I could talk to you for another two hours, but um, thank you so much for spending time and speaking with us. And um, good luck at uh, Truly You. Oh, thank you. Thank you for everything. You know, you to this day were one of the the you know most influential people I've learned from in my life. So it was wonderful to have this conversation. Oh wow, thank you. Yeah.